0: Watching on movies with Rebecca and Jason
1: Are you gonna love or hate Here, Here comes the binge Hey everybody, welcome to the binge In which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases I am Jason Leroy
0: And I'm Rebecca Larte, And today we have three movies Below Her Mouth, which is actually the name of the movie Citizen Jane, Battle for the City Same and movie <laughs> And David Lynch, The Art Life Which and was the porn <laughs> <laughs> and we have a guest <laughs> <laughs>
1: We do uh, We do have a guest today uh, You guys know the rating system Binge it is our highest rating Consume in moderation means I is it. kind of meh And send it back means Life's too short for that mess But uh, you know what life is not too short for Is friends and uh and today on the podcast we have a very very i mean
0: isn't it though (laughs) friends are kind of a drag (laughs) anyway go on they're
1: usually more trouble than they're worth but not kind of a time suck really (laughs) really can be especially when they are long distance friends
0: speaking of which i'm right
1: here (laughs) speaking of which we have one such friend here today uh ladies and gentlemen Our guest today has been a close friend of mine for 14 years now. We old. 14 years. (laughs) We met back when we were both students at Kent State University. Uh, I was the editor of the entertainment section of the Daily Kent Stater, or Pop Arts, as I forcibly renamed it. That's right. From when it was formerly called Kentertainment, <laughs> which, which I found, which I found just unacceptable. Because they
0: try to shoehorn that thing where it's like can't read, can't write, can't entertain, right.
1: <laughs> and you're like, I won't have it.
2: And then he was having a s'mores one morning for breakfast. He's like, well, What if we call well, it Pop well, Arts? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew knows all my stories. That's right. (laughs) Was there when they (laughs) happened.
1: Uh, So uh, Andrew was one of my writers, Uh, my first semester. Well, you're already setting
0: up a hierarchy here.
1: He was one of my writers, (laughs) and uh, and I read his stuff, and I was like, Andrew and I clearly were both raised reading Entertainment Weekly every single week. I saw that in his writing, and I was like, yes, him, (laughs) and uh, and we became very close, and have been friends ever since. Uh, He has. Wildly surpassed me in the worlds of journalism. Uh, so much so that I quit. <laughs> so much so. He he's wasn't done,
0: even fun anymore competing.
1: He's, he's done so well in journalism that he's now left it in the rear view. That's right. Uh, after spending years working for publications like Advertising Age and Billboard. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter, Adweek. Um, you know. <laughs> New York, Vulture. Uh, he has now left it all behind and... Is just a, just another corporate shill, really? <laughs> corporate shill consultant. So Andrew Hamp is here with us today. Uh, he is here in San Francisco for a few days, and we want to just get him on the show because Andrew and I are in many ways the same person. And uh, So if anything we're proving that we're not today Exactly Yay! By being on the show at the same time And also by forcing Rebecca to indulge us While we talk about a movie with lots and lots of lesbian sex that's
0: Yeah funny. it was a weird request <laughs> <laughs> You're like I have this great idea There's This is yeah. this movie that's really uh, This steamy mm-hmm. lesbian sex movie And I right. think you and Andrew and I Should get together and watch it and, and then
1: review it And I think you should be forced to explain it to us <laughs> <laughs> Yes ah. As two gay men. So what were they doing in that scene?
0: <clears throat> Not acting well. And what's the thing
1: with the nose?
0: <laughs> oh, no. the the uh, lady and the tramp?
1: <laughs> yeah, there yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We'll so get to that. We'll get into yeah. all of that. Um, anyway, hi, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> Yay! So, Andrew, uh, how long have you been a fan of the show?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Since it was a blog.
1: <laughs> Yay! Andrew is an OG, the binge blog originalist. That's right. Uh, He's been around since the beginning, always encouraging me. I was binging the binge back when it was just called Overdose. Ah. (laughs) Guys, also, you should know we've had some wine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Andrew and I have had some wine. Rebecca has a few beers in. My wine is (laughs) called
0: Keeping on, <laughs> keeping in a character.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My wine is called Kim Crawford,
2: so uh, I'll be referring to it as my co-host throughout the evening. You're welcome. I oh, will
1: fully admit that earlier tonight I dropped an entire bottle of wine on the floor of my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shattered into far too many pieces, which tells me that it was a very cheap bottle. Because it was not a clean... They just don't make
0: glass the it, way they used to. No,
1: it was not a clean break. It was not a clean break. There are, I'm sure, many little shreds of glass still sitting on my kitchen floor. I'm very scared about that. Um. So, but Scott will find that out the hard way later tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Does this we'll podcast deal... have a feet budget? <laughs> <laughs> Time to start buying ads. <laughs> New feet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, house shoes would be a lot cheaper. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: you and mm-hmm. your house shoes. I want to
0: be the pragmatist here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Should we get
0: to the first movie yes, that we please. all got to enjoy just moments ago, which yes. is called uh, "Below Her Mouth." <laughs>
1: Not above her brain, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Jasmine is a successful fashion editor living with her fiancé. On a night out in the city with her best friend, she meets Dallas, a roofer recently out of a relationship. Surprised by the confidence with which Dallas pursues her, Jasmine turns Dallas down, but can't get her out of her head. When Jasmine finally succumbs, the two women embark on a steamy affair that forces them both to reevaluate their lives.
1: You okay, sweetie? Did you call the planner about booking the wedding?
0: I haven't had time.
1: I don't want to think about my life.
0: I'm memorizing every part of you. I've never done anything like this before. I need to end this.
2: Why were you never like that with me?
1: stay well okay guys here's how i thought about this so this is yet another film that i saw at tiff last year oh my god and uh you know i'm sorry i watched a lot of movies and i saw this film there and it was incredibly awkward Mm -hmm. as any film with lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of very earnest emotional sex is And, uh, and so then I saw it was coming out and then it just happened to be coming out the week that Andrew was going to be here staying with us. And I was like, you know, what would be funny would be to force Rebecca who famously really hates sex in movies, uh, to watch a movie with so much graphic lesbian sex in it with two like shrill shrieking gay men, um, who would then turn it all into a joke. And uh and then would come into this podcast together and we'd be like, Rebecca, what was all that? Is that how it works? And you'd be like, I'm not commenting. <laughs> End of review.
0: Okay, so the next movie we're going <laughs> Citizen Jane. <laughs> Which I personally found a lot more erotic. Nothing is sexier
1: <laughs> than a good urban plan. Right. <laughs> I love watching an old lady save a city. I mean,
0: she wasn't old at the time.
1: Well, oh, she was always old. I love it. that later. I love it when an urban plan comes together. <laughs> <laughs> um, so below her mouth.
0: I mean, it starts off with that title.
1: <laughs> so, and we will say um, that, and this is something that Andrew uh, noticed while he was researching beforehand was that this is a film that is is made entirely by women. Um so it really te- My
0: women for idiots. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's made entirely by women and it really sort of tests the boundaries of um of the female gaze if you will because wow is it graphic? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I feel like the female gaze in this in this instance is just one that mirrors the male gaze. Tightly. Oh, really? that's correct. Yeah, it's it, it just takes like, oh, this is what the gaze is. I'm going to use this too.
2: Yeah, it's equal opportunity in the sense that females can be dumb perverts too. Right. <laughs>
0: all right. Okay, all right. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Sounds a little better when I say it, but... <laughs> all right. Oh, my God. Don't take it. Uh, okay, so, so. this f- movie, first and foremost, is Canadian. <laughs> as uh, We kind of try to make it... We try to think of it as the uh, low-budget Canadian carol.
1: Yes. Well, really what it is, is a low-budget Canadian fanfic spinoff of Shane and Jenny from season one of The L Word. Mm -hmm. Let's call it what it is, which is that exactly. Mm -hmm. So what we have here is a story about um, this very, like, femme, dark-haired girl um, who is living in Toronto. She is, like, a fashion editor for a magazine. She lives with her fiancé. Um, about, whose name is Ryle? Who name? Whose name is Ryle? R I L E. It's an old family name. Ryle. <laughs> they don't say that. Rebecca's being it more than halfway. <laughs> As in, I'll route it. <laughs> and her name is Jasmine, and uh, and so she is just minding her own business. And then one day she comes across this other woman whose name is Dallas. Dallas. And when Dallas sees Jasmine's magic carpet, <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs>
0: i mean indeed
1: uh you know it's jasmine does dallas and uh and so dallas <laughs> so uh and so and so you can know what to picture here so um so jasmine is sort of like an eliza Dushku mm-hmm. cross with jennifer love hewitt cross with jessica alba with megan fox's with eyes megan fox's eyes so she's her and Dallas is straight up, she's like a four-alarm lesbian pinup blonde Kristen Stewart from Sweden.
0: Yeah, she's the, the missing Sarsgaard.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. If Alexander Sarsgaard had a lesbian twin sister, it mm-hmm. would be Dallas. It would be, mm-hmm. her name is Erica Linder. She is a Swedish model. And she acts like one. <laughs> not since Tommy Wiseau in the room uh, has there been such nuanced line readings of English uh, uh, dialogue <laughs> from somebody who clearly was not completely sure how the intonation should sound. Yes, but uh, those are not her strengths, and the film does not expect her to be good at them. Uh, so, uh, so we have Jasmine, you know, sort of like becoming smitten with Dallas, and then they meet, and then it's just off to the races, lesbian style. Um, in terms of the escalating emotional intensity of their relationship <laughs> in a pretty short period of time.
0: they really are very infested
1: very fast very, very fast.
0: This movie has a lot of um so what I don't like about this movie <laughs> I mean a lot of things, but uh like it has this uh the Dallas character is this archetype of the uh you know um unemotional like lesbian playboy aloof. Um, unavailable mm-hmm. Wait, uh, but it's Jordan catalano like Immature um, With a
2: cliche job She's a roofer
1: Oh yes mm-hmm. She's a roofer she's For a coming called Above Our Heads <laughs> yes. Which seems to be Some sort of play On the title of the movie And mm. is
0: just super aggressive In the way she uh, Pursues Jasmine In a way that If this was If there was a male in that In that role In the movie It would be disturbing. It would be like kind of like a thriller. Like, why is this guy stalking her and like being so physically aggressive and like continues to follow her, even though she's made it like relatively clear that she's not interested. Uh, But it's always like celebrated in lesbian film. And I hate Mm, that. Interesting. Look, fine. Fine. She has sexual charisma. I don't. That might be the case. (laughs) Whatever. I'll put that out there.
2: But it's dismissed in most films as predatory lesbian. Like, that's where the category she would fall into. Right. But because she's super hot, she
1: gets away with it. Right. Which I think is true in, I don't know if it's limited to only gay films where it's true that, like, if you're super hot, you can get away with bullshit that Mm -hmm. otherwise Mm you wouldn't get away with. Um but, uh, but you know, I think that probably is true that you know in in lesbian films, it's sort of like, oh, well, there's not that same sense of of you know uh the 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 physical threat of a male's mm-hmm. like you know sort of like sexual power and uh sort of uh f- forcing his will. That kind of thing. So here it's sort of like, oh no, it's fine. <laughs> um, it's two ladies. Yeah. And, it's uh, not rape if it's a woman. Oh no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know. It's not new or fresh. And it doesn't do any favors to people who aren't, you know smoldering or, <laughs> or attractive people who,
1: or, you or you know, people, people who can read people who people who appreciate
2: sex <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of the best parts of uh dallas's apartment is that she has these bookshelves that we're supposed to assume that her character probably built but there's no actual books on them. not
0: one book no, i think they're full one. of uh cables and strap-ons yeah mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. this is a film that does not shy away from showing a strap-on no. Um, it, it makes it very, very plain and very blunt that Dallas does have a strap on and that it, it has a regular role in, uh, her lovemaking <laughs> And
2: that there are probably a collection hanging on those shelves, otherwise known
1: as clitrature. That's one of many puns Andrew came up with while we were watching the film. <laughs> hey, you're welcome.
0: I mean, the film is just any like run of the mill wolf video, like <laughs> lesbian, I don't know, well, store. like there's nothing special about this film at all. Unless you're with your. you've had two bottles of what do you call it, Kim Crawford wine? <laughs> Kim
1: Crawford wine. And Kim with- Crawford. Thank <laughs> you. He, he wishes it was Kim Crawford <laughs> wine. I will say we all we all kept each other. This is not it's, it's not like the assignment where we're like it'd be funny no matter what. I think this this movie we we had a very good time with, mm-hmm, um, yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, but I think you know unless you're watching it with like-minded people who have been drinking and who can appreciate the finer hilarities of a lesbian erotic drama, um, it might not be the best. But no, I mean, this well, movie
0: has no no nothing nothing going for it
2: yeah it's a different kind of enjoyable because you spend the something like the assignment wishing that it could be better right because of all the people involved below Mm. her mouth you don't want anything else from it than what it already is
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i'll say this for it i'll say this for it so it is uh it's very much a mood piece Uh, It's very emotional. The mood is hot and horny. It's very very emotional. And, uh, you know, and there's a great soundtrack. Terrific, terrific sort of like female vocal electro soundtrack. Remember this name, Ralph. That's a lady. She's a great Toronto pop songstress. Lady Ralph. She has a song in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, you know, it has a kind of like a dreamy, sensual kind of aesthetic to the filmmaking that I think is beguiling. And I will say that even when I saw it last September, so the actress that plays Jasmine, her name is Natalie Krill, and I think she is genuinely great in this movie. I think she's genuinely Hmm. great. She gives everything in this movie. Like, she lays her fucking soul out there in this movie. And everything else. And everything else. And that's part of it, though. You know, like, no judgment to her. Like, she really goes there in terms of exposing herself in every possible sense in this movie. And she, there's there's like a soul to it. So like, you know, so she does go there in the sex scenes, but then in her emotional scenes, she's she's very, she's raw. She's just really raw. And I think that she's actually, this is like a really standout performance. And I think that her, I think Erica Linder doesn't really compliment her super well mm-hmm. um, as because she is very much, she's every inch a Swedish model who has not acted before. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, so she does what's required of her in terms of, you know, keeping this specific kind of fantasy going. But no, but Natalie Krill who plays Jasmine, genuinely, I think, gives a performance that should be commended.
0: I mean, I still don't think it makes makes seeing the movie worth it. Like, the story is is so thin. It's a romance. It, it all happens in 24 hours. It's unbelievable. The characters are so cliched. Like, it, if you the were way, a
2: subtitle it, you haul a love story, it would have been more subtle.
0: Really would have been more subtle. Uh, the way that the Dallas character is so obvious in in the way that, that, that they're unable to make connections with people. People don't even really act that way where you kind of like wake up in the same. Like that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's a lesbian stereotype or a stereotype of people in general that doesn't, that doesn't, I don't know, work in the story at all.
1: I will say that Natalie Krill's abs are like... On oh, anything I've is, ever seen uh, in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, some really, really incredible ab work from Nally Krill, <laughs> despite the fact that she's playing the more femme one. Correct. Uh, you know, I think that well, what's interesting about um, below her mouth is that this is uh, you know, it's an example of this. It's not like there's no other movies like this, but it's an example of 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 lesbian erotica made by for and about women. And so, like, this is a topic that comes up a lot when people talk about sex scenes in films, this idea that like, okay, well it depends on who's telling it and who's framing it and whose eyes it's through. And this is this is a movie that was not made to arouse men. You know, it was made for queer women. I
0: mean I mean, as a queer woman,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I would say that like to assume that because it was made by women doesn't mean that it was still made in the style... is to not say it wasn't still made in the style of the male gaze. Like, I don't feel like it was any different than it... I would never have known a woman directed this movie. It didn't feel any different at all. Like, um, I think that it's fantastic that a woman directed it and and a woman wrote it, but they didn't do anything particularly different to make it seem that way to the viewer. It wasn't
2: nuanced to the female experience. No, it wasn't. It was...
0: I feel like the lack of story is part of, is part of the problem. Like it it kind of ghosts these sex scenes in sort of unrealistic ways.
1: Well, to be fair, um, we also talked over every single dialogue scene. <laughs> <laughs> All how many three of them. Of, yeah.
0: How many lines of dialogue are in this movie? Uh, there
1: was, a, okay, no, guys. We kept joking about how much processing there was. There'd be like a sex scene and then 10 minutes of processing, and then a sex scene and then 10 minutes of processing. I mean, but also zero character development. I mean, well, but no, that was what was coming through the processing that we were talking over.
0: I don't think that was that was character.
2: You're giving it way too
1: much. Credit. No, there was. Yeah, you really have you, have you seen the movie in its entirety with no talking over the dialogue? I can say in those scenes, like they are really reaching to develop who these women are. It,
0: that part's also unrealistic. They spend wine it together. They spend the whole next day talking about their childhood. That's the oh, processing. that's unrealistic. I mean it doesn't make a relationship that builds this whole movie to the to the degree that this relationship is supposed to be like this. Like, sure, but is it unrealistic that they would,
1: you know, spend a wild night together and then spend the next day talking about their childhoods and their feelings.
0: I mean, so you're saying that it is a stereotype, but that it is also made by women and therefore it is breaking the stereotype of of men of men who've made these movies before.
1: Well, no, because men haven't made movies about like, you know, deep lesbian relationships so much. So I'm not saying it's breaking any male stereotypes. And I think the idea of the female gaze versus the male gaze here is not about uh that it's not about like how men think what lesbians are like you know necessarily i think it's about you know saying that this was about saying that you know women too is sort of like claiming uh, a space in erotic cinema for women
0: so i think there are three levels i think there's the there's like the straight up straight guy view of like a lesbian movie relationship and like that way of looking at sex and then I think there's this gay men with a lot of lesbian friends who like have these like this repertoire of jokes of like lesbians move in together and lesbians process and like so it's a it's a view that's di- like in, right in between where you're like mm-hmm. you know a little bit. Why more. Why are you looking at us when
1: you're saying this? I'm just <laughs> looking
0: at all four of your eyes. <laughs> and then there's actual lesbian relationships that are that are maybe a little bit of uh, of that stereotype and maybe sometimes they're sexy in the way that straight men cinema things. But at the end of the day, it's still a stereotype. It's your stereotype, not some straight dude stereotype but it's still not realistic
1: well okay but like tell that to the queer women who made this fucking movie
0: i mean do we know that they're queer women
1: yes they're queer women it was made by queer women so like this is a movie that was made by queer women for queer women i
0: mean that doesn't mean they have to do a great job
1: well no yeah no i i I get that and i'm not saying that has to represent every queer female experience but i think that the experience of this movie is a valid one i think that genuinely it's a very sort of sensual romance And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, it does really push the boundaries in terms of the sex in a way that makes it a little hard to take seriously Uh, because, you know, it, 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 it crosses over into...
0: I mean, I felt like the sex was actually very realistic. It didn't feel, I mean, it was a large part of the movie and that was pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that it wasn't, like, it wasn't The Handmaid's Tale and something that you're like, okay, this is possible. I'm sorry, this isn't The Handmaiden. Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, this is possible, but it's also kind of like within the context of their, like, experience and relationship. I felt like this was, these were very, like, believable, um, realistic sex scenes. Mm -hmm. It's the the the, what got them there and then what they do after it and then how it affects their life that doesn't make any sense.
1: I mean to me I guess it just seemed like it was two people just meeting and falling like head over heels and that's like the staple of romantic cinema in a way you know like it's you know like it's for for, to be somebody who watches romantic movies you have to suspend your disbelief that two people can meet and hit off in such a way that you just like your whole life stops and now it becomes about that person. And I feel like that's very much the story that we're seeing in this movie.
0: I guess it would be easier to understand that if it felt more genuine and or the characters weren't such stereotypes of like this butch roofer lesbian mm-hmm. uh, to me. Oh, sorry.
2: And, and if it just wasn't as predictable. I mean, you can see mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. plot change coming from a mile
1: away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is very you know, similar to, again, Shane and Jenny.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's it. Like if you've seen the L word, you've seen this movie. Mm
1: hmm. This is actually more graphic than the L word, which I did not know was possible, but it it does get more graphic.
0: I mean, I really, I appreciate your love of things lesbian, but I don't think that it's quite there.
1: Quite to what?
0: Quite a a great story of like lesbian love storytelling.
1: No, I mean, I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying that this is something that like, oh, this is, this is, this is like the lesbian broke back mountain. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm not saying that uh, at all. Uh, You know, but I do think that this is a movie that, you know, it doesn't, there are so many bad gay and lesbian movies out there. Yeah. And I don't know that I would classify this one as one of just the abjectly bad ones. I think there's an artistry to the filmmaking, to the photography, to, Mm -hmm. you know, to the the music, to some of the performances that elevates it to a certain place. Um, You know, I think it is a genuinely hot movie, uh, you know, which is really difficult to pull off. And I think most North American movies don't do sex. And this movie really does sex hard. And you know, and I think that that is, you know, to put queer sexuality out there visually for people to engage is is a radical act in this day and age. And so I commend it in that sense. And uh, you know, so yeah, no, it's not a great movie. Um, you know, and there's, especially in the beginning, I think the beginning is when it's the most t- kind of touch and go with a dialogue where it's kind of like, oh, this is embarrassing. We kept saying it was like a it was like the pizza man delivers, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Like there's a lot of really like ham fisted, cor- you know, porn movie level dialogue um, as we're as they're sort of hitting it off or clam fisted, whatever you oh, call. no. <laughs> You're supporting her case. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well,
2: I, could, I I'll, I'll just say that to your point earlier, I think that if anything else, the overt sexuality, all all of that breaking down those barriers, makes it a gateway to better queer cinema. This is not that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you feel like with in watching a, a lesbian movie that you feel like you have less dogs in the race? Where if it was like a <laughs> like a if it was a movie like gay guys that was like you know artistic and like it was almost there but not quite there, you would be upset because it almost could have been something that was awesome, but it's not. But you think you can appreciate it at a distance because you don't have once again the dogs in
1: the race. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mm-hmm. feel like I mean I've seen so many you know gay movies where. Um, you know it doesn't quite cross any sort of finish line of greatness and so you know I think that you know it is It is. I think always easier to watch a film where you don't feel as personally invested like oh this movie is meant to speak for me and my community or whatever mm-hmm. um, and so I can see why maybe you're you know you would feel more irritated than we would at certain representation in the film being a bit more cliche or a bit more on the nose or a bit more like oh that's how it always is portrayed mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's completely valid. Uh, so, you know, like, so possibly, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, we are, Andrew and I are, are two gay men who do love lesbian culture. Yes. So, you know, so it might be easier for us to just like sit back and laugh, which granted, okay
0: sit back and laugh all, all, all
1: three of us <laughs> were doing don't let rebecca's self-righteousness make you think she was not laughing the whole i was movie. laughing at this
0: i thought this whole movie was ridiculous of course <laughs> yes, i was laughing is. the whole time at we the end, end of
1: the day it's laughing. wildly entertaining regardless <laughs> yes. of its quality
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's not the kind of movie you would watch alone or with uh, your mother or with uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think it's
1: a movie some people could watch alone and have a very good time with mm-hmm. uh, maybe because it's real graphic
0: I mean, there's, like, some so, engaged woman in, in, like, Ohio that's like, oh, this is a movie for me.
1: I will say, it, it did seem like Rebecca was more uncomfortable with the graphic sex scenes than Andrew and I were. Oh, you think? Yeah.
0: I mean, I, 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 What made you think that?
1: Oh, well, because uh, of of the general sort of, like, not... The dry heaving? Is yeah, the dry heaving. <laughs> that was the dead that, giveaway. But yeah. <laughs>
0: It was coincidental. It
1: was yeah. a general sort of shielding of the eyes with it's the hands. It's allergy
0: season. super bloom.
1: <laughs> the short, super stabbing breaths.
2: Yeah. <laughs> super
0: bloom. <laughs> did that Alex Jones thing? Where I just ripped my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord.
2: But this movie did start a broader conversation about it among us, as far as what
1: are our favorite steamy movies and yes. Sonata? Mm-hmm.
0: And what are our favorite things to make fun of Canadians about? <laughs> yes. oh,
1: yeah, yeah. there's a lot of in and oot jokes about mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. of the sex scenes.
0: So, Andrew, what is your favorite steamy movie? I'm so, asking you like I don't know.
2: <laughs> so, you know, to what we were talking about earlier, um, in the same way, Rebecca, that you're uncomfortable with sex and cinema, I think that I define a steamy movie... As a movie that wouldn't otherwise be considered like an erotic thriller or like a, you know, sex quote unquote movie. Mm -hmm. So for me, the two movies I think about are Mulholland Drive, Mm -hmm. which is very much otherwise not a uh, an an erotic thriller, but has an extremely uh, erotic scene in the middle of it between two women. Uh, and also the talented Mr. Ripley, which has one of the all-time great homoerotic scenes between Jude Law and Matt Damon. Mm. So we discussed
0: this a little bit before the podcast, and those are also my two most steamy movies.
1: That is crazy. And I feel like
0: it's the, it's the same reason. I think that it's um, it's nice when it's a surprise. When something is, like, too set up or supposed to be steamy, it loses it. it exactly. It's, the expectation is too much, um, and it's, it's not quite there. But in Mulholland Drive, I mean, I feel like that's such a good... It, both, like, while it's happening, while the characters are sort of, like, having this, like, steamy romance, and then even the afterwards when you're like, okay, maybe that was, you know, I, it was in a blue box or it was beer goggles and she's yeah. just a waitress at a wager set of diner with fucked up teeth and I guess this is where we've gotten ourselves.
2: <laughs> yeah, the best part about that scene is that you still have no idea what it even means in the context of the film after it happens.
0: No, but, like, that, but in that but like all the parts of that movie, that while they don't connect, they have this, like, real genuine chemistry at these moments that are, that are so beautiful. It's like the Rebecca Del Rio singing moment it's like you know you're being fooled and you know uh you're not supposed to believe it but you do every time seen the movie a hundred times every time you're like oh she's not singing <laughs> yep. and it's the same thing these people don't make any sense there's no reason they should have this passion for each other but they do and you and you love it and it and you get swept up in it
1: our david lynch documentary review is coming up later in the episode oh it <laughs> is <laughs>
0: <laughs> and talent and mr ripley yeah. i mean as we were talking about it's just first of all it's in a place with people and a look that you want to be
2: Absolutely, yeah. It just fetishizes everything about Italy. It even fetishizes Gwyneth Paltrow, which is hard to do.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the scene that we're referencing,
2: it's when it's really when like the mounting friendship between Jude Law and Matt Damon's characters becomes something more over a game of chess where Jude Law happens to be bathing in the bathtub mm-hmm. and Matt Damon invites himself in, which, <sighs> as any gay man who tries to turn their has tried to turn their straight friend over the years can attest, <laughs> is the ultimate goal. <laughs> Am I right? (laughs) High five. Hi.
0: (laughs) True. Yeah, that movie, I mean, Jude Law just exudes sex in one way. And then uh, Matt Damon exudes sex in another way, which is like this obsessive, uh, also beautiful, but like hidden under like a pair of glasses.
2: But also innocent, like you feel like it's beyond Mm -hmm. his control, like it's possessive in a way that he can't fully define. Also, he got in insane shape for that movie.
0: Yeah, he really did.
2: His abs, actually, are the only thing that rivaled the chick from (laughs) before her mouth. Below her mouth. Before her 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 mouth. Gonna have some more Kim. Before her mouth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) After her mouth. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) That was another, yeah. If you guys do watch Below Her Mouth, then please make a drinking game with your friends where you just think about how many things, that's Below My Mouth right now, jokes you can make when you're watching (laughs) it. That's all we did. Oh, we did.
2: Also, uh, acronyms for the CN Tower.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it does true. take place in Toronto. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jason, yeah. what's your steamy movie?
1: So um, I will also pick two. Uh, so one classic. Uh, which I have have recently been pointing to more and more as as my root in many ways, and that, the fog, and that is, <laughs> and that is, wild hearts can't be broken. No, uh, that is, uh, it was that horse racing movie with like, no, um, my
2: horse and me with Ashley and Mary right. Kate.
1: <laughs> it was Kate Fear. No, it was, uh, it was threesome. With uh Stephen Baldwin, Josh Charles, and Laura flynn Boyle. Josh Charles. Josh Charles. Uh which if you guys might recall is from nineteen ninety-three, and it is about um a gay guy, a straight guy, and a straight girl who wind up sharing a room together in college. And they sort of gradually uh it's like a love triangle where uh the gay guy's into the straight guy, the straight guy's into the straight girl, straight girls into the gay guy and it gradually becomes a sort of menage a trois situation and there's a scene where Stephen Baldwin sort of invites the sexual contact of Josh Charles because um, Josh Charles while they're having an actual threesome reaches over and puts his hand on Stephen Baldwin's butt and then sort of like is like, oh no and starts to pull it away and Stephen Baldwin takes his hand and puts it back on his butt on his butt and so I was like WHAT?! <laughs> Butts! Yeah. Butts! Um so I was like I'm in uh so threesome was a really big one for me um and then there's a more recent one uh that is called and this is what i was trying to look up earlier uh it's called um paris 0559 teo and hugo you and, made that up and uh it, it's a it's a really 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 awesome movie it's sort of almost like a gay before sunrise it Before Sunrise started with, like, 20 solid minutes of actual hardcore gay sex. So it's a story that begins in a gay sex club in Paris. And, you know, so we're watching all this actual, like, for real, unsimulated gay sex going on. And these two guys, you know, sort of like they, they, they meet and they have sex. And then they, you know, get their clothes and leave the club. And then they go out walking through the Paris streets. Um, sort of walking each other home and talking and you know each other. And, uh, and it's, it's, it was filmed you know, in real time uh, in the middle of the night in Paris. And, uh, and it is uh, just the experience of watching it. It really does hearken back to that kind of like before sunrise sense of intimacy um, and of authenticity, of that emotional immediacy of like getting to know someone in a very real way that feels exciting. In this case, they've already had sex. And so it's that kind of, I think it's a more common thing with gays. Uh, Where we're sort of like, you know, the sex can come really, really early on. And then you're like, oh, well, let's get to know each other now that we've done that.
2: So it's like the French version of weekend.
1: Uh, In a way, in a way. Um, Except for like it's happening in real time between like 5.59 is the time that I think the clock like stops. Oh, okay. So it starts at like 4 a.m. as they're like meeting in the sex club. And then it just goes with them every minute of the next two hours as they're walking around. And there's a lot of... Surprising twists and turns that come up as they're getting to know each other. And uh, so, but it's, so it's, but the, but the sex is very real and very like genuinely actually real. And, um, and then what follows is, uh, is very, very, uh, even somehow more intimate than what comes in the beginning. Hmm. Um, so it's really, uh, yeah, I saw it last year at Frameline and it really has stayed with me. Um, I've continued to think about it. It's a great film. Is it out? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually, I think it's coming out in, it might be on VOD now. I think it's actually just like these, these recent weeks been coming out in theaters like the Roxy and doing a VOD run. So again, it's called um, Paris 0559, Teo, which is T-H-E-O and Hugo. And uh, I really, really, really recommend it. And I want to take this opportunity to recommend the sort of like more recent release. But I also agree uh, very much uh, with Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, <laughs> and, uh, like, definitely when I saw that movie when I was 17, and even the scene, you know, grossly after, um, Tom kills Dickie, and then just, like, holds his body, mm-hmm. and, and, and like, mm-hmm. as they, oh my god, I was like, I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and
0: all those like moments of flirtation before, like when they're in the jazz club, and like you're like, is he kind of
2: flirting so with so them back? And, and sitting there, just staring when they at share them. that microphone,
1: good grief! Oh, For, for my funny Valentine, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, no, no, no. Why well, when they no, do a two voix? Oh shoot, love, Father America, I know. Yeah, so if is just sitting there in the background, just glaring at them, just snapping, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also you gotta smell like bacon.
0: In Mulholland Drive One of the other scenes Even though it isn't like Overtly steamy But it like Really grabs me every time It's also my favorite movie um, is when Naomi Watts is first brought into the studio to audition. Oh, and, and she's
2: singing I'm Told Every Little Star? Not even then. Not even that She one?
0: walks in. She's being walked in by, like, the director's, like, ex-wife, who's the casting agent. Mm-hmm. And Justin Theroux is sitting at the director's seat, and he, like, he's listening to them do, like, 16 Reasons. And he, like, looks back to, like, see what the commotion is. And, like, she looks at him, and he looks at her, and it is, like... Fucking stop me every time. Every time it gets me. It's such a really uh, mm-hmm. the, the the chemistry of that scene just hmm. really uh, amazing.
2: Someone's excited for the Twin Peaks revival. <laughs> I should have
0: watched that David Lynch documentary.
2: <laughs> Me too.
0: Um, all right. Well, Below Her Mouth, it's unrated, but probably would receive an NC-17 for the graphic sex and nudity. And it's oh, what in- do we give it? I'm giving it a send it back. I don't think it's worth anybody's time.
1: I would give it a consume moderation.
2: I would give it a consume with friends. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
0: okay. Consume with friends, uh, but that's really... It's definitely not an airplane movie.
1: <laughs> Can you imagine watching this on an airplane? <laughs> what, what would the airplane... Would be like you shielding your screen so much. But also the airplane
2: edit of that movie would be 12 minutes.
0: <laughs> all 13 lines of dialogue. The
2: best is when I saw Keanu on an airplane and they replaced all the motherfuckers with Mother Hubbard. Mother Hubbard, really? yes. <laughs> and then at one point in the on a Ferris scene, they said, Give me the fancy bag. That
0: just <laughs> made me giggle.
1: <laughs> what airline is this?
2: United. I got dragged
1: off. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, what a drag. Can't do anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the next movie is going to be Citizen Jane Battle for the City, which is our pick of the week. Pick Bye. of the week. Pick of the week Pig 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 is a pick of the, of the week. week Arguably no one did more to shape understanding of the modern American city than Jane Jacobs the visionary activist and author of The Death and Life of Great American Cities. Jane Jacobs was the most
2: articulate
0: voice of a movement. Please. You have to move a lot of people out of the way of a big housing project. People who rent, they don't own it.
2: What are they gonna do, throw me in the street? After 51 years, I'm citizen and everything. Where was this going to end? Take the money and go away. What would we have left? People
0: have to insist on government trying things their way. So this is one that I um, requested mm-hmm. us to take a look at. Um, I have read The Death and Life of Great American Cities...
1: Now, how did you come to read that?
0: My my mom's really into uh, the idea of urban planning. Is she's, she? No, she's more into the ideas of mistakes people made in the fifties. Oh, um, so is it like a lifetime? Florida. A lifetime of pursuits. Right. Yeah, just a lifetime no of, of, of things hating things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and you know, living in in San Francisco has had some of the same faults in terms of trying to make things uh, a way people people who were in charge thought they should be utilized and thought they would be utilized. Mm -hmm. Turns out they're not, you know, our civic center, our downtown, they're beautiful, you know, uh, buildings, but nobody goes there. Um, They just end up being places where, um, homeless people sort of gather. Right.
1: I was struck by that in the film. Um, when they're talking about the way that, so this film is film is specifically about Manhattan. The whole film is just Mm -hmm. about various disputes that occurred in Manhattan, um, between this guy who seemed like such a villain and the film certainly does not attempt to make him look like not a villain. So
0: that's really funny. I, I also... Um, his name
1: is Robert Moses. Robert
0: Moses, yeah. So I actually thought that the movie...
1: Made him look better than he was. Made him
0: look better than he was. Uh, <laughs> because I talked about... So he was this guy uh, who sort of like, you know, worked his way by... He did a lot, a couple of really great things. He made like public beaches and public parks. He also made bridges in mm-hmm. New York. And so he
1: did they great They acknowledge stuff. that he started off as progressive.
0: But then he ended up... I think the real problem is that he ended up getting unchecked power. So he mm-hmm. was like the head of a department that was able to just unilaterally make decisions about how things are built, what's built, how it's built and and what uh has to leave because it's built. And as that continued to progress and he got older, um, you know, it got a little ugly and then people needed to step in, people like Jane Jacobs.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. And uh so even though it was just about specifically Manhattan, uh, they do talk about this idea of, you know, part of the uh, urban renewal is making these civic center areas that end up being used almost entirely by the homeless. And, uh, and that is true in San Francisco as well, because we also have uh, civic center areas in San Francisco that, you know, are parks and fountains and plazas that are very much favored by the homeless and which, you know, are not used for their intended purposes, and so I thought what I thought was really fascinating about watching this struggle play out in Citizen Jane, and this is a movie where the majority of the action takes place, kind of starting post war New York, so sort of starting mm-hmm. mid 40s and then kind of going for the next 25 or 30 years, um, is this conflict between that sort of entitled sense of wanting to just come into a situation mm-hmm. with this this abstract ideal of like, well, it should be like this. And then just imposing, the idea of imposing this idea that like comes from a sense of entitlement of like, oh, well, we're experts in our field and we know where this should be and the current trends of modernism dictate this. And so a city should be this. Mm-hmm. Versus, but There's even like a line
0: in the city in this movie where they talk about how like, she goes back and explores after they've made one of these civic centers in like Pittsburgh I think and and it's not being used and and so she goes cuz she's a, a journalist as well mm-hmm. and she asks them why and they're like oh we don't know why how to explain that people are too stupid to figure out what we made for them.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. Um so there's that end of the spectrum and then on the other end there's Jane Jacobs who is saying like let's cities are not cities are about the people in them. Cities are about people on the streets. And so what we have here is a film that talks about sort of like 1930s, 1920s New York as being like the ultimate, Um, you know, whenever um, there was just this organically occurring community, different communities that all made up one larger community. Um, But then post-war, we had the urban renewal startup, which mainly constituted Destroying uh, a lot of the uh, you know the communities that were considered blights, which frequently mm-hmm. was African American communities, mm-hmm. and just you know, and destroying sort of like that stoop culture of just blocks mm-hmm. and blocks and blocks of buildings that had stoops and people just like in just enjoying just being out in the street together, sidewalks together, um, just being like okay, well let's like this destroy all of that. The lack of the lack of apology for the people in this movie for displacing yeah. people is stunning
0: it really is That's some of the quotes they managed to pull that people said on record in terms of
1: like just the lack of just like oh well yeah you know what you know to make a novel you have to make a few you have to break a few eggs and like literally that is the wrong analogy here because people's
0: lives this is their lives yeah yeah
1: you have to move some people around but you know we want this to be a great city right Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's stunning. It's stunning and appalling, uh, the lack of, of sort of like self-awareness that uh, these people had that were just like, well, we have to make New York the best city on earth. And to do that, we have to get ready to get rid of, they kept, they kept using like cancer analogies. Yeah. They were like, well, these are, these are cancers. We have to cut out the cancer so that we can make this a great city, mm-hmm. uh, which is shocking, shocking because really they are literally just talking about people of, like communities of color. Yes. Um. Like, how can we get rid of the poor people? How can we get rid of communities of color so that we can make this a great city? Mm -hmm. And just subscribe to this modernist idea that like it should be about high rises. It should be about like jamming people together and destroying all these blocks so that each block was just like a giant, enormous high rise. Like, oh, everyone gets sun. Everyone gets a little patio. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets a little, um, which is yeah, extremely disingenuous. And just this idea of imposing. Uh, what you think is best, like, the, the you know, this 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 elite privileged group of, of white men, what mm-hmm. they think is best for a city over what the people uh, who actually are the city, who are there on the ground every day and who have been there for decades, mm-hmm. what they think is best.
0: Maybe if you've lived through this period of time, this isn't new to you. But I think, you know, for people maybe our age and younger, mm-hmm. you know, you sort of see... I, like, there's so many angles. Like one is like almost like in film, like when you see like The Warriors or you see um, movies like Candyman, where you see these like high rise projects, and you sort of think of this like almost like dystopian '80s of this mm-hmm. this world where people live, and you don't again, you don't have sunlight. You don't. Right. You think of The Wire, like the and Ed the Koch is interviewed here. Ed Koch is yeah, is interviewed, um, but you think of uh, and sure, there's probably a bit of a romanticizing of slums Absolutely. Um, here.
1: There's a bit of that. There's a lot of, like, loving slow-mo shots of, of young children of color dancing under under hydrants mm-hmm. and things like that. It's like, okay, that's, you know, like, let's not oversell, you know, like, oh, we just the average person knows what's best. Like, no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, not always, at least. But, but I
0: think that, that the way her approach of looking at a city as an organism, and again, like you're saying, instead of imposing things, even for a moment, Taking a look at how things are working, like what is working here, and a lot of her work, in- and as they talk about in this movie, is that uh, a city is a city is and a community is built to protect itself by mm-hmm. having eyes on the street. You have a shopkeeper, you have a barber, mm-hmm. you have a bar, you have people who naturally, because they live there, because they want to be looking out of out their window or sitting on their stoop, they are keeping an eye on the street. Um, you know, a- an area that is populated and well lit is safer than a and per- than an area that is like right. dark and and unoccupied.
1: And Jane says she says "Like what some people might look at and see chaos. You just aren't Mm -hmm. looking at a big enough scale and scope of it because if you pull back enough, you can see that there is organization to it.
0: Right, and I think a part of that chaos is also very uh ethnically and racially as well right you look at that that quote-unquote chaos and Mm -hmm. it's just like people of different ethnicities you know celebrating and and living their lives Mm -hmm. um but like by breaking people out of that natural system of of watching out for each other for the better good and and forcing them into these high-rises these these you know projects these develop low Mm -hmm. low income development areas you're one not giving people the opportunity to uh, feel like people care about them and they can work their way out of it. And in, in some cases, you have to like, you know, you have to make under a certain income. There's like no way to sort of get out of the system. It's it, there's nobody to look out for each other because you're kind of stacked upwards, and it just like you yeah. know, there's no opportunity for um, safety or for people to build a community. Yeah. And the other interesting thing from this movie is that both uh, when they talk about the way Robert Moses looks in New York and the the way they talk about um, Uh, building these high-rises is that the invention of the airplane Hmm. changes the perspective of the entire situation. Hmm. Until you can hit the air, you can only see the city from one point of view and that is your eyes. And then suddenly we build this thing in the airplane and now you can see the city from the top down. You can look at a city and plan it completely differently. Which is a completely unintended consequence of an airplane, right? Right. But... um, but just, like, the effect that something like that has, it almost, like, I always think about, like, you know, before there were movies, how did people think about, like, cinematic things? How did you daydream mm. about falling in love or daydream about being in a different place? You know, you read right. a book and you sort of made an image, but now that, like, people have made these images, the way we are able to imagine things is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, before there were airplanes, people never realized what a city looked like from above. That yeah. is insane. Yeah. Um. I mean, in this situation, unfortunately, it push people to make uh decisions they thought that were um important that weren't the other important thing here i think is you sort of uh, hit on this earlier when we were talking about this movie the influence although you know they frame robert moses at the beginning of this movie as being you know an altruist about you know he really wanted public parks and, and uh public beaches it became about uh the american car manufacturing company yes and it became about lining the pockets of developers. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like Donald Trump's father, yes. who profited who is greatly. Who was never mentioned, no. uh,
1: and yet the Trump family looms large and the film for sure
0: i guess you could if you were looking hopefully say you know you come back from world war ii and you think that everyone deserves a house and a car you know a, a house with a carport and a car and this is the way of the future and everyone gets one and this is what everyone should have but at the same point like how much of that is you know the advertising of mm-hmm. you know, gm and ford and how much of that destroyed cities and made right. the long an expressway and sort of well, built cities the cities that we live in now that are car size and they're mm-hmm. no fun to walk in and they're super boring.
1: Well, I mean, like, there's so much about this film that I think is so applicable to, you know, uh, ills that we still have today. And, mm-hmm. and part of it is this idea that on the one hand, like the Robert Moseses of the world want to be like, this is about safety. This is about preserving our communities. And this is about, you know, this is about the American way. And on the other hand, they're all like, it needs to be good for business. We mm-hmm. need to make it really easy for business to flourish and mm-hmm. to make money. Otherwise, we're all fucked. And so this idea that like, oh, well, you know, we all need to sacrifice, um, you know, basically you're just throwing all your values at the door the second that there is some sort of ultimatum from the business community,
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: uh, being like, "Oh well, fuck it, forget it all," uh, you know, like you know, the car people need to feel like we're valuing them and making it really easy for them and just like, greasing the wheels and being mm-hmm. like, "Hey, you know, like we'll we'll build all these freeways that completely destroy cities and and you know, bisect them and dissect them so that mm-hmm. you know, there's more places for cars to go because otherwise we don't have cars, the economy, right? Exactly. Um, you know, just the just the bullshit that gets done in the name of the economy, mm-hmm. as if it's this thing that we can all grab Asked so simply as if like well it's the economy and everyone's like oh well if it's the economy I guess we well do then
0: it. yeah like you say like they show uh, some archival footage of James Baldwin in this movie oh, talking about so how great. urban renewal is Negro removal absolutely um, which is like oh we build this highway it's great for business oh it's so so it sort of built the city into a north side and a south side so mm-hmm. it, you know, it built the city into an east side and a west side right
1: just the segregation that comes from this mm-hmm. it made me think of um, there was this fantastic um, HBO miniseries a few years ago called Show Me a Hero oh,
0: Oh yes, about uh, the guy in New Jersey. Yeah, in Yonkers. Yes. Well, the guy in Yonkers. Yep. Yeah,
1: um, about like district, like redistricting, mm-hmm. um, and you know, this like all these people in Yonkers who like didn't want to be redistricted to have to have like poor blacks be part of their mm-hmm. districts, and, uh, and that was another similar to Citizen Jane. Is something where you're like, oh, that sounds like a really dry subject matter. I don't right. know that I would find that interesting. And me going into this movie, I walked into this movie, watched it today, walked into it. 100% blind. I did not do any research mm. at all, and then I just started to watch it, and I was like, "Urban planning, uh, you know." I was like, <laughs> "I don't care. I'm not interested. I know nothing about that." And you know, Ben Carson's running it now anyway, so who cares? Um, <laughs> but you know, I was very much taken in um, by uh, by the narrative, and it, I think it speaks to such larger ideas around the idea that like the person who is saying. Hey, let's slow down mm-hmm. and and think about this. Is a person who genuinely does not get listened to? Mm-hmm. Um because no one wants to slow down. Everyone wants to only go faster. Mm-hmm. Um but that's what leads to so many calamities is not listening to the people being like, "Hey, wait, let's slow down and mm-hmm. look at the implications of this." I mean, just like looking at our foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this idea that like it's just such an American thing and we see that play out in this movie to just be like oh no I know what's best and mm-hmm. I don't need to know any context I just intuitively know what's best mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm going to go and impose that somewhere where I have no jurisdiction mm-hmm. but I'm going to do it anyway and, and so we see that in our, you know, in our foreign policy and we see that in Robert Moses in this, in this movie and uh, in, in the ways that his similar policies have been implemented in cities around the country and around the world and, and particularly now in China as they yeah. really talk about in the postscript of this film
0: um, so, yeah, so this movie is sort of uh, within the framework of uh, cities are urbanizing at a rate that is faster than ever before. And the ce- decisions we make now are going to have ramifications for future gener- generations. So they show India and they show China, all these countries that you're know, just having these population booms. And like, how can we kind of take the lessons we learned here? Um, by both our failures and our successes, and and think about how we how we uh, handled these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this is also kind of an interesting uh, documentary because it, it isn't necessarily like cradle to the grave. No, it's not doesn't isn't very much about her personal life. No. But it's also I mean it comes at a good time because it's very inspiring about mm-hmm. a woman who is. Just a journalist, Mm -hmm. you know. She's a woman in the fifties. She's definitely been hit with, you know, they they were like, "Oh, it's just a mother who has something to say." There's Mm a you know bunch of sexism involved, Um, but because she was successful, she was successful because she was both persistent. She oh, it's also a really interesting part about how uh, kind of at this time, civil rights, feminism, urban planning, all these Mm -hmm. kind of groups borrowed and um, shared uh, strategies. I thought which I thought was really interesting. Um, but she was, yeah, she persevered. She was, um, incredibly articulate. I mean, she's also a genius. These books she's wrote, yeah. she's written are fantastic and they still hold up and they're really interesting. And if you live in a city where mm-hmm. you're interested, I still highly recommend, I highly, highly recommend reading them. Um, she made these, these concepts that seem like they are very dry, actually very interesting. Yeah. Um, it was stuff
1: I'd never thought about before. And, uh, and I really was, was by the end of the film, I was definitely fired up about it. And uh, and I think that, you know, it just it shows us it's so it's so valuable to look at it because I think it shows us a time that was not so long ago where um, entitled wealthy white men just decide they knew what what was best, but they were which is still the case. But back Mm -hmm. then they were so much more bald-faced about it. Well,
0: there wasn't Twitter. Back, yeah, there was no Twitter. There was
1: no black Twitter. And so back then, everyone was just much more bald-faced about it and was just like, well, this is the way it is and this is how we think should be and that means that's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. And so in that, and like the actual, like the the, the logic behind why they were doing what they were doing hasn't changed. Mm -mm. Um, But so I think if anything, watching this film is just a reminder of like what the Trumps of the world really, truly in their bones believe about what they are entitled to change about the world and why things should be changed because they don't like them for X, Y, Z reasons. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. I mean, the film is extremely... I don't know what to call it, the fact that they don't actually call out the Trump family because I'm sure that there it was... It is strange. It is It is strange. And I have to wonder, I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't know if there was like a rights issue with the names or libel mm. threats. Who knows? But certainly by the time the film's timeline runs out, the Trump family was already... I mean, his father had mm-hmm. been active concurrently alongside Robert Moses. Mm -hmm. And then, you you know, Trump in his early years was already active by, you know, the early 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, but, you know, this is just a reminder that (laughs) our president's a con artist. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and he comes from a long line of <laughs> con
1: artists, and we shouldn't trust him <laughs> and his instincts are terrible in every possible sense
0: and also that this single woman journalist mm-hmm. um, was able to motivate a community to make some real change like she a real um,
1: change oh again and again and again it's so it's really unbelievable really stopped
0: like big projects that were supposed to happen from and, happening
1: and I was ex- honestly watching it I was exasperated watching them go through the protests because I was like girl it's not going to work even though in the back of my mind I was like well if they're making a movie it must work and then it works I'm just like how does that work it worked. because. Today nothing works. That is nothing uh, works. So I'm like, how I'm like, how did it work then? What do we have to do differently now to make worked. things work? Because now we can't fucking do anything.
0: I mean, as you heard in the trailer, you just need a sweet old Italian lady to say. Apparently,
1: yeah, exactly. Live, oh, too much. I've been living here for many years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, Andrew, welcome back from your uh, very important mission. Thank you. Uh, we rhymes with
1: j- Paco Smell.
0: <laughs> we were just uh, talking about the Jane Jacobs documentary, and you are—you've uh, been living in New York for how long? Now?
2: Just under eleven years.
0: Um, do you feel like you see these uh, the effects of this change in in the city that you know now? Do you feel like a lot of people kind of talk about the way it was? Or
2: absolutely, and it's really analogous to San Francisco, your city, mm. because I think you know we're... it is mine. Thank you, because <laughs> <laughs> hey, it... no one else's. I mean more obviously more um more quickly in San Francisco in the last decade than New York, but San Francisco is a city where when you especially when you compare it to the urban planning of new york it 's very different in terms of how it 's been able to accommodate the rapid growth because mm-hmm. San Francisco has skyline ordinances that don 't apply to New York, so you can 't even have. The ridiculous, you know, eyesore high rises that New York and increasingly Mm. Brooklyn has Mm -hmm. that is now overcrowding our streets like you guys, Mm -hmm. you can only, you know, it can only most buildings can only be what, like six stories tall or something like Mm -hmm. that. So that's why it's literally forcing people to Oakland and the East Bay and, you know, the greater Mm -hmm. parts of. Silicon Valley to accommodate all the folks who are being employed by the Facebooks and Googles of the world. Mm -hmm. Whereas, so, so that's, that's one thing, obviously, in terms of the overcrowding issue. But then in terms of just a sense of preservation, I do think that New York is so unforgiving as a city. Like it has no nostalgia, it has no Mm. sense of preservation. Whereas when I lived in LA for two years, uh, I felt that LA as a city had a very, strong sense of, um, you know, wanting to preserve its historic... L.A. Movement. strokes itself off? You're kidding me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas New York, yeah, New York just, you know, maybe it's Maybe that's on the a luxury next.
0: because they have so much space in L.A.
2: I guess, yeah, maybe, right, maybe so that's sprawling. one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: They're like, leave that well, there. No one's been there for five years, but <laughs> just leave it there.
2: Yeah, well, I, I say this a lot about New York, especially with... Um, Friends who you know struggle with the finances of it. Like New York is literally the jock you dated in high school who wanted nothing to do with you, but you're always trying to earn its approval. It's constantly looking over its shoulder at what the new hot thing is with more money, hmm. and you're just like, "Well, oh, remember that
1: time you looked at me? Oh, it's so great."
2: <laughs> That's what New York is for a lot well, of
1: people. You know, and there are so many high rises that are uh, that are so ugly, and uh, <laughs> it's true. And and there's always like there's one of which is right down the street from you right now. Well. <laughs> Well, in New York, there's this cluster of brown high-rises that are just, like, like, those don't... Because this film, Citizen Jane, ends with a montage of all these different housing projects Mm. being demolished. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's meant to be, like, they failed... They were demolished because they failed. Cabrini Inlet's, Green, and let's never have those again. And yet, there are those ugly, ugly brown ones that are so totally. that are just off, just across the bridge. Stein well, Town, going.
2: yeah, Stein Town in in Manhattan. Right. Off projects where I used to live. Like all, there's a lot of those still.
1: So, and 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 how do those how do those hang on?
2: Well, it's interesting because even the new high-rises that are still going up, so for example, like in downtown Brooklyn, there's a lot of those going up in anticipation of the L shutting down for several years, which hmm. is going to drive people away from Williamsburg. They hang on because they have affordable housing applications, so those apply not just to lower-income ha- families, but also to any young professional who makes under 75 k Interesting. So if you want to live in a r- relevant neighborhood, but you maybe can't afford you know, what you would otherwise have to pay in like a Brooklyn Heights or... Before green, that's that's where you go because hmm. there's literally so many rooms that they're trying to fill.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it's preying well, on it's it's yeah. it's like
2: the housing crisis all over again, oh, God. but for renters.
1: Well, yeah, I mean here it does seem like you know uh, you know we've obviously in San Francisco we've had so many condos going up around the city, but they I guess they do at the end of the day they do um, you know answer to the limitations Andrew mentioned in terms of like how high they can go. Um, and maybe but the th- thing
0: that they don't really address is how drab and ugly they can be. Yes, mm-hmm. very, Which is, very ugly. N- to go back to the film quickly, they sort of you know we're coming out of World War II. We're in the '50s, and at a time where we're trying so hard to separate ourselves from uh, communism and the Soviet culture, who really embrace like brutalist architecture for one reason or another, like that's sort of the model that they were trying to build with the like uh functional design cement uh just eyesores that they mm-hmm, built mm-hmm. um it's it, it's odd that it was an american thing because like american uh the buildings before that were you know had a lot of charm to them um and a lot of like you know craftsmanship both in terms of like brickwork and um architecture so it, it was odd that we sort of like kind of went back to this utilitarian way that was you know also in, in, embraced by our communist enemies. Um <laughs> right. but yeah, I mean so many of the buildings here are they this is a, it's a really rough time for uh architecture here in the city. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean there's a giant glass monstrosity right in the corner next to the mint okay. uh which is mm-hmm. really tough to look at every time I look at it.
0: The one at on Octavia is the worst Oh yeah the Octavian one from the Market one, The one
1: from looking mm-hmm. It uh,
0: mm-hmm. looks like a prison
1: Yeah It absolutely <laughs> looks like a prison And there are no win- windows And it's done by like A top architect too Yeah it's uh... Real tough Or maybe he's a bottom Who knows Oh, <laughs> oh! <laughs> Bing bang <laughs> boom um, Yeah And, and, and I, I'm somebody Who doesn't care about Architecture at all Not even a little bit Um, But, you know, it did But now you do I know, I do. But, you know, but now um, I did I was like, you know what? I live in an old, old building You do (laughs) And so I did pat myself on the back For displacing whoever it was I displaced Whenever I moved in here (laughs) Back in 2009 Uh, We are sitting right now In just your classic railroad flat San Francisco apartment Taping a podcast (laughs) To honor history Mm -hmm. Um, While Taco Bell sits in the kitchen (laughs)
0: So we Hashtag having it all. (laughs) Uh, Citizen Jane Battle of the City was our pick of the week. So I'm going to say binge it. Yeah. Um, Especially if you aren't familiar with this stuff, you um, haven't looked into it before. I feel Mm -hmm. like this is a really easy way to sort of, you know, get interested and get kind of hyped and inspired by what people can do.
1: Yeah, no, I would say binge it as well. Um, You know, I, I walked into this movie knowing absolutely nothing about it or anybody in it. And I was dubious throughout the movie just because it did feel like it was a very activist slanted documentary that was like paint, you know, putting a sort of like a, a a rose colored lens on certain things, um, about like, oh, well, see, this is, people are great. And what people need to understand is that people are great. People should be trusted. Um, but you know, even through all of like the skepticism that I brought to it, um, I still ultimately was very, I mean, like the facts of what, what Jane Jacobs did are just that they're facts Mm -hmm. And um, the idea that she was able to repeatedly organize and just, you know, that she had such a certainty about what it was that she was doing, that she was able to just like stand up and fight. Um, and and just, to, just to face down um, these, these rich, wealthy, entitled white men and to be like, uh-uh, that's not happening. And I'm going to mm-hmm. prevent it by mobilizing these communities that you want to marginalize and show you that we are stronger than you.
0: And a certainty that came from listening. Yeah. and observing
1: mm-hmm.
0: not from you know sort of absolutely
1: from actually being yeah that, that, as a journalist that she was just there listening and observing and that through just her journalistic empathy mm-hmm. that she was able to be like we can do this together it's an incredible story
0: uh, so that brings us to movie number three which is David Lynch The Art Life this profile of director David Lynch explores how the formative experiences of his youth led him to become the artist he is today The film includes archival footage and home movies, as well as interviews with Lynch as he paints in his studio.
2: All I wanted to do was paint. It was like I couldn't control it. It just makes you think of stories. Sickness, corruption, fear in the air. It was so good for me. I could imagine a whole world that doesn't exist, I had tremendous freedom, my own little place that really would be such a world.
0: So coming off our discussion of Mulholland Drive being mm-hmm. uh, two-thirds of our favorite steamy movie, um, Jason, what, uh, what did you, what did you make of the documentary of David Lynch the man, David Lynch the artist?
1: Well, I think that one of the main things uh, to take away from this documentary is that sort of central paradox of David Lynch himself, which his fans are already familiar with, which is that this is a man who, despite the extremely dark, esoteric, disturbing art that he puts out into the world, seems like just wholesome as pie mm-hmm. and just a, just a Midwestern dad. Incredibly well-adjusted. Incredibly well-adjusted. And uh, and I think that that, you know, that very much plays itself out in this film. An important thing to know about David Lynch, The Art Life, because this is the first feature length documentary about David Lynch that involves him as an interview subject, period. So, you know, he's been making films since 1977 was when Eraserhead came out. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that he has had, which what fuck this 40 years ago. 40 years since Eraserhead this year. And now we have our very first documentary that's like, let us just take a glance into who David Lynch is as an artist, as a filmmaker. And uh, this is a film that stops at Eraserhead. Mm -hmm. So this is actually much more about David Lynch um, when he was a child and just tracing his earliest, earliest creative steps. This is the kind of film that makes you think like, okay, there could be like four of these. Yeah. Um and just tracing all his different, you know, just the different steps in his career, and where he has allowed sort of like his inspiration to, to to draw him. Uh, so we see here David Lynch, uh, in his current home in the Hollywood Hills, and he has a very he has a like a little toddler daughter, um, mm-hmm. whose name is Lula, which I believe was Laura Dern's name in Wild at Heart. And uh, and so he is just... The whole movie is basically you're watching David Lynch in the present tense just making visual art, you know, just like drawing paintings and making these textured sculptures and things like that. And smoking cigarettes. And smoking a lot of cigarettes uh, while he is narrating in voiceover sort of the story of his life. And what really stuck out to me... Um, from these stories that he told from this first sort of like 25, 30 years of his life leading up to him making a brazier head is the way that you can tell these stories he's telling you're like, Oh, like that really informed these visuals that Mm. you have made in movies Mm. since then. He tells a story about how when he was a little boy, um, playing with kids in one of his neighborhoods because he is somebody who moved around a lot. I don't know if he was a military brat or what, but he moved around from like Indi- you know from like Montana, Montana to that, Iowa that, yeah. to Washington to Virginia, and uh, and he tells a story about being in one of those settings and seeing a woman. He's playing with his friends. It's nighttime, mm-hmm. and he saw a fully nude woman, and he says it's the first time he'd ever seen a nude woman uh, with her mouth bloodied. Mm-hmm just walking across the suburban street just crossing the street and then walking toward them and uh and that's such a Lynch vision you're like okay mm-hmm. so that's what blue velvet was that's what mm-hmm. the scene of isabella rossellini in blue velvet when she's fully nude and bloody and walking in the suburban street you're like that was him playing that out um he talks about um you know later on when he was like doing dope for the first time and he talks about how he was driving his friends And then eventually he heard them all yelling his name for a long time and he realized that he had stopped driving in the middle of the highway because he was so transfixed by watching the white lines Mm -hmm. in the middle of the highway. Mm. And that's such a What movie is that? (laughs) Yeah, he got lost in the highway. (laughs) Uh, That's
0: what inspired Inland Empire.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In a way, it did. And so the straight story. Um, and he imagined uh, he was on a tractor, <laughs> and then his story. So he ends up going to. So he basically talks about David Lynch's first love was was painting, mm-hmm. and um and then he talks about uh you know uh how it was such a, a, a you know a, a challenging conflict for him and his family because family didn't really like these were different times and his family was a working class family and they were like this is not a real life you can't do this. And um, But he talks about how eventually, you know, he went to Philadelphia to, um, you know, to go to art school and just the insane things he saw in Philadelphia, which at the time, which I mean, Philadelphia has always been a little rough around the edges, um, (laughs) but especially in like the 60s, -hmm. um, whenever he was there, he talks about things like, oh, there was this woman who lived around the street from me and she would just walk around she would crouch down like a duck and just walk around me and just go like quack 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 and there's this other woman who would show up and she would look at me and she'd be like my nipples hurt and she would just grab her nipples and grab her breasts at me and just these things where you're like oh my god what the fuck were you seeing but you know like who were these people but you just start to get such a sense of like these things these obsessions these images that just implanted themselves in his mind that informed him there's one which i'm so curious about there's one story he starts to tell i don't know if this was in the part that you saw there's one story he starts to tell about a neighbor of his and he can't finish he it. can't finish the
0: story he can't finish the story i, I was i was gonna ask you if he finishes no, it later on he never
1: finishes he it. starts to tell the story he was like there's mr smith
0: and mrs and then he and he just he's like, gets like and it's kind of choked up and yeah he's he he like that. there's
1: he's like mr smith you know, he's like there was this patch of lawn between our house and the, yeah. and the Smith's house, and this one night, Mister Smith walked out of and his then he house, just kind of, and then he's like, "I can't, I can't finish the story."
0: I think that so, as you sort of mentioned, I've only seen the first part, but he he talks a, a bit about his mother and, and mm-hmm. his his family, and like the loving upbringing he had and the loving family that he had, and I feel like it his what what we've been able to take uh that he's given us you know, through his art um it really comes from a perfect storm of someone who is very sensitive sensitive mm-hmm. and observant about the things around them because the thing is like the story you're telling about uh the quack right. the quacking woman and you know we've we live in San Francisco mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of stuff right but either but because so out of self-preservation because we don't want to engage with the world around us or if you are maybe raised in a city and you're just kind of used to it and over it and you don't pay attention but he's maybe both because he was raised in these more uh, rural areas and then mm-hmm. was exposed to the city or because he had the freedom to be a little bit more observant and sensitive because his family was very open and accepting that, that he was able to hold on to these things right. think about them and then sort of manifest them and the in way it made art. him feel, yeah, you know, and yeah, exactly. the way it made him
1: feel really, because that's kind of what he brings to his art is like the feeling that he felt.
0: Exactly, and that's what's so great about his art is that even though it seems so, finger quotes weird, mm-hmm. like every all of these things that are so strange are are not they're not strange in like a. You know, get get your horror kind of way. It's there everything is so human and so relatable right. Um, about all of the sort of you know the weird things that he that he makes and the images that he creates right
1: like like the characters always know that it's weird.
0: Yeah, but the mm-hmm. feeling that you get from the weirdness is 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 very familiar to everyone.
2: Which is why that scene in Mulholland Drive at the diner is oh listed God. by a lot as the most horrifying scene of the last twenty years.
0: Absolutely.
1: The it, which scene with the
0: monster in the oh, right, and behind and the, the behind diner. the diner, yeah, yeah. Like
1: behind the diner. Even
0: yeah. the build up in the diner where oh, he's yeah. freaking out about the dream that he mm-hmm. had. Who hasn't felt that feeling where you had this dream and you know it's a dream, but you just feel so terrified that you're mm-hmm. sweating telling the story.
1: Yeah. And that's what so there's a great scene in this film where uh, so once once David goes to he gradually he he becomes so immersed in the visual arts that he kind of like leaves his family's home. But while he's still a teenager and he is just off making art really, really in a very focused, concerted way. And um, and one day, finally, he has like so much art that he's made and his father comes to visit him. And so he takes him in and while we're watching this with this narrative, we're like seeing all these different pieces of art that are being shown on screen that we're to understand are made by David in this era. And they are all invariably dark, disturbing Mm -hmm. pieces. And so he takes his father and this is in like, again, this is in like the early 60s. He takes his father to look at his artwork and he talks about how afterward his father sat down with him and and turned to him with a very grave face and said, David you should never have children wow uh which was his way of being like you are disturbed wow. and uh and David David Lynch is like he's so tickled by his father he was like well what you know which was so funny you know because he has David Lynch has that like that nasal midwestern voice he's like well and what was so funny is that he had mistaken my experiments for some sort of indication that, you know, that I was somehow this person who needed deep psychological help, which couldn't have been further from the truth. Um, so David Lynch has sort of detachment from his art. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, in recent years, he's become quite a, a vocal com- um, proponent for like transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. But it seems yeah, like he does
0: like a radio show or podcast or something. He does so many things. He has That's a festival.
1: Thing. Really, yeah, he has a festival. He, I mean, he does like he ha He makes his own albums. Mm-hmm. He has. I think he did he this thing at one beans. point. There was
0: like a website where you could like, like go to it every morning at six a.m. and you like listen to him live, like talking you through meditation. It's so
1: fascinating. He's such a fascinating guy because he is at the end of the day he's such a normal in a lot of ways. He's just a normal midwestern dad, um, but he is such an artist. And I was genuinely inspired by him in this movie because he was saying when he's talking about making his art he was like I wanted to find he was talking about the motivation he had for just going and making this art even though he was like I knew that I sucked and I knew that the art I was making was crap but I had to find out what was mine and so I painted and painted and painted and painted and painted and painted some more to find out what was mine. And eventually, through all of that, I was able to find, you know, who I was and Mm -hmm. what my voice was. And I think that's so inspiring for any creative person, this idea that you just have to keep going and going and going and going and going to find out what is yours. And by what is yours, it's like what your voice is, who you are. Mm -hmm. And you can only find that out by really, really going and doing and creating. And that's why this is called David Lynch, The Art Life. He even talks about the first time that he realized that the idea of moving paintings were fascinating to him, mm. because that's how he got into like. So he never even says like film. He never says like I'm David Lynch. I'm Dwayne Like you know. He, he, <laughs> he, now we
0: wish he had. No. <laughs> he,
1: he never says that. <laughs> you know they show like it beyond eraser head. The only thing they show they do show um, while they show him working in one of his art studios in his in his um, home. They do show a Mahalan Drive Street sign on the wall.
0: Oh yeah. And then Billy Way- really Ray Cyrus walks past. Yes,
1: exactly <laughs> like, well, hey. Um but, uh, but you know, it's really not a movie that is pandering to David Lynch' mm-hmm. movie fans at all. Um, it's definitely a movie that's like, no, that's not what this is about. This is about David Lynch, a visual artist who, as the film is ending, has 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 managed to follow his muse to the point where now he sees what it is that he is here to do. And he gets this grant from like the AFI to make a Racerhead and he moves to Los Angeles and he's making it. And that's pretty much where it ends. It doesn't it doesn't end with like, and then I premiered a Racerhead and then they mm-hmm. gave me Elephant Man or then Dune. Or, you know, like it doesn't get into any of that stuff. Um it's just his life as a visual artist and then realizing through just pursuing what in, what what inspired him that a moving painting the idea of just creating these visuals was what really fascinated him. And that's what I think ultimately will provide the most inspiration and understanding to his fans. Because when you realize that at the end of the day, we're talking about a painter, you know, we're talking about sort of like a modern conceptual artist mm-hmm. who just believes in the power of an image and of just like experimenting with these dark dreams and visions he has that have been impl- you know imprinted on him. That's why his films are so dreamlike because he loves that dreamlike feel And also why they're so, um, you know, elliptical and enigmatic, because he is not especially driven by conventional narrative. Mm
0: -hmm. I felt like this movie, even though I don't feel at all like it was the intention, was very inspiring to sort of... Or maybe not even inspiring is is the right word, but... um, it made me want to stop and think, you know, it's like it's something that what's that, what's that thing that makes you want to stop living your life for a moment and start looking at it?
1: Things that make you go, Hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, those are all things that that's a way I would normally describe anything that's terrible. Um,
1: <laughs> I told him.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I, f- I feel like there's um, that this is within a lot of us and mm. a lot of us have these experiences and, and ways we could, share them that are interesting uh and relatable to others who've had these experiences but like but we don't we like we see it we process it we say that's crazy and we put it away and then we go to work and then you know whatever Mm -hmm. so i felt like it it was almost kind of like a i don't know a flag to sort of chill out for a second and um think about all the weird shit that we see yeah
1: well you know and similar to this in jane it seems to be about like slow down
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, another you film. move too fast. Another film is about slowing down and igno- and, and and observing and letting things in and mm-hmm. being present. Because what made both Jane Jacobs mm-hmm. and David Lynch the great influencers that they were and are for David Lynch uh, is that they slowed down mm-hmm. and that they paid attention and were present. Um, and also Jasmine and below her <laughs> mouth. <laughs> If she had never slowed
2: down and paid attention to that lesbian roofer. She takes the time to process how (laughs) that pegging in the bathtub made her feel about her feelings. The theme here with these
1: three movies is taking the time to process. (laughs) (laughs) Just sit on it and think. (laughs) Um, Oh, shit.
0: David Lynch, The Art Life, you're giving it A?
1: Well, okay. So if you're a David Lynch fan, I will say binge it. This is a must watch for any David Lynch fan. If you're not a David Lynch fan, it's a consume mm-hmm. because it's, 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 the pace is very leisurely. And if you don't care about David Lynch, you're just going to be like, what the fuck do I care about any yeah, of this? Yeah, I guess it's like,
0: if you don't know the end result, then it's going to be. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like if you're, if you're somebody who, because David Lynch inspires a level of cult fanaticism where like, you know who you are if you're a David Lynch fan. And if you're just like, I want to know this man, mm-hmm. um, this movie will be like man from heaven for you. But if you're somebody who is, like, not... If you're, like, a fairweather, kind of casually, oh, David Lynch, whoever, um, don't rush out to see it. Uh, But I do think that there is a lot to be gained here from just, like, the idea of, like, the artist's life. Um, You know, yeah.
2: Well, here's my question. Do you feel like you now know too much? Because isn't that the... Isn't that the greatness of Mulholland Drive or even Twin Peaks, right? That they're unsolvable, Mm. you know?
1: No, I don't feel like I know too much. That's a great question. I don't feel like I know too much um, because David Lynch is always, since he is so directly involved with the making of this film and since it's him narrating himself and there's literally no one else interviewed in the whole movie, David Lynch would never give away too much. He's so protective. he still controls the narrative. Absolutely. He's so protective of his mythology. So he absolutely does not give away too much. Got it. So the mystery is intact.
0: Excellent. Um, it is.
1: Rated- I'll binge it. <laughs> Yay!
0: <laughs> it is unrated, but probably would be R for language and disturbing imagery. I also like, I felt like it was the first time I've seen a movie where I was like, man, it bothers me that he's smoking so much. I hope he lives forever. I know,
1: mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, it's really, it is. We're in the age now where it's really hard to see people smoking in movies.
0: That sucks. Uh, but. That's it. That's it. Thank you so much for listening, Andrew. Thank you to Andrew Ham.
1: Thanks for having me,
2: guys.
0: Yay! Thank you so much. Um, Is there anywhere your fans can follow you, find you, uh, freak you out?
1: Yeah, what do you want to what do you want
2: what do you want to promote? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ahamp or ahamp, a h <laughs> a m double p. The extra p makes all the
0: difference. <laughs> and Jason is on Twitter at I'm at Fight Balance Thank you so much. Be sure to subscribe if you like the show, and uh, that's it.
1: Bye guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing.
2: There There goes the binge. binge!